Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries, of curiosities, of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. I had a really nice time with you yesterday. Oh, when we went to brunch. Yeah, that was that was lovely. Although it was, do you ever find yourself saying sentences that you've never said before? It's a perfect moment. In your life. Yeah, a perfect moment. I had one of those with Kat yesterday at, at brunch. I found myself telling the waitstaff, yes, I'd like the Bloody Mary with no meat, please. <laughs> yep. I didn't notice they like have they have like a, an ultimate Bloody Mary. Right, well, it that'd has like be nice. bacon and shrimp. It had and shrimp. It, there was crustaceans in it. So you you ordered that, and I was like, "Are you sure?" Because <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. I just saw vodka, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, so I got my Bloody Mary with uh, without meat, and I really loved how there were no animals in it. Yeah, that it, was nice. It was turned out pretty good. It was actually really good. In fact, I think in the future, when I order breakfast, I'm going to say, can you substitute uh, vodka for bacon? That would be great. Thank you. Like instead of the brunch potatoes. Right, exactly. Yeah, no yeah. one wants those. No. Yeah, I hate brunch potatoes. I can't tell you. I've pretty much thrown away an, an entire potato farm over the period of my life. Just ask for no brunch potatoes. I, I want to get my money's worth and then throw it away. That's fine. Usually I eat them, so I'm not complaining. <laughs> All right, I need another sip of coffee before I begin this story. This one doesn't end happily. Oh, no. Um, just a heads up on that. It was 51 years ago this May. In fact, May 19th, 1971, to be exact. Two girls from South Dakota named Cheryl Miller and Pamela Jackson. They were looking forward to the end of high school, the end of the high school year. They were both 17 years old and students at Vermilion High School in uh, South Dakota. Cheryl and Pam were best friends. And by all accounts, they were good students at the high school. They were also not known to drink or use drugs. They weren't present on uh, the party scene very often. They just, they kind of kept to themselves. Okay. But this particular day, Cheryl and Pam ran into some boys from their school who told them that uh, there was a big year-end kegger out at the gravel pit that night. That's where all the good parties happen. <laughs> yep. At the gravel pit. 
And this was on the outskirts of Elk Point, South Dakota. And they thought, well, you know what? It's the year. It's the end of the year. It might be fun. It's like that movie Booksmart, where they both spent the whole year just studying and being good kids. And then it was the end of the year. And they were like, all right, well, we have to have some fun. Right. Okay. The problem was neither one of them had a car. And this was way out in the country. So Cheryl and Pam went to Cheryl's grandfather's house to see if they could borrow his car. And he said, sure, and tossed him the keys to his 1960s Studebaker Lark. Amazing. Which, I looked it up, it's a beautiful car. They then drove to the hospital to visit Cheryl's grandmother. Oh my gosh, what good girls. Pretty sweet. We're on our way to a party, but we're going to stop and visit Nana first. Later that day, they met up with the boys again and uh, made a plan, agreed to follow them to the party at the gravel pit. This was the last time anyone saw them alive. When interviewed by police, the boys that uh, had run into them and the boys that they followed said the girls had indeed followed them on the dirt road that led to the gravel pit. The boys said they could see the girls in their rearview mirror, but the road was kicking up a lot of dust so they would lose sight lose you know line of sight every once in a while. And uh, because of the dust, the boys missed the turn to the gravel pit. So they turned around and went back the same way they came, and they claimed the girls and the Studebaker were nowhere to be found. Huh. When the girls didn't show up to the party, they thought that the girls had simply changed their minds and gone home, which is reasonable. But when they didn't show up at home that night, family members became alarmed. So law enforcement, along with family members and uh, neighborhood volunteers, searched constantly without a break for weeks on end, hoping to find some trace of the girls. And they never did. After several weeks of investigation and no sign of any clues or trace of the girls, the search was called off and the case went cold. No sign of the car either? No. Okay. A year went by. And then two years went by, and then five years went by. Pamela Jackson's father never gave up looking for them. He would spend every hour that he had available to him driving along the rural roads where they were last seen near the quarry, hoping to find some clues, some sign of the missing girls or their car. Ten years went by. He kept looking. Oh. And then 20 years went by. And then 30. No sign of the girls, not even a clue. The case was about as cold as it can get. It became one of the very first investigations in the new South Dakota cold case unit in the year 2004. So they reopened it. And law enforcement got a tip from an informant at a jailhouse who claimed that his cellmate, a man named David Lichen, had confessed to him that he killed the girls. Lichen, at the time of the girls' disappearance, went to the same high school, and he was 17 years old the year the girls disappeared, same age as them. Mm -hmm. Lichen was already serving a 227-year prison sentence for an unrelated rape and kidnapping. It seemed like perhaps they found their man. In September of 2004, they searched his farm where he had lived, and they found bones and a purse clothing, photographs, newspaper articles, and other items that suggested maybe they had a, had their man, but they didn't find the car. A grand jury charged David Lichen with the murder of the two girls. But in a surprising twist, the prosecutors 
dropped the charges. They learned that the cellmate who had implicated Lycan had lied. He had just made it up. Nine more years would go by. And then in September of 2013... What, what benefit is there to lie about something like that? That just irritates the shit right out of me. Well, I imagine the, the Lycan family wasn't too fond of that either, even though David was guilty of another crime that put them in a whole different level of... Because they were worried about these girls too. Sure. Though I can't imagine that if your son had been involved in that kind of crime, you wouldn't in the back of your head go, oh, Jesus, remember mm. those girls that went missing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Regardless of what shitty cellmates say. So nine more years go by. And then in September of 2013, 42 years after the girls disappeared, a very surprising discovery was made. A man was out fishing on a creek named Brule Creek. Now, 2013 was a very dry year. It was an historic uh, drought. And they were suffering from low water levels all over the area. And the creek was no exception. In fact, the water in the creek was extremely low. As the man was casting his line, he noticed four tires sticking up from the shallow water of the creek. He called authorities, and they pulled from the creek a 1960s Studebaker Lark. The license plate confirmed that it had belonged to Cheryl's grandfather. The girls were still inside 43 years later. Oh, no. Now, as I mentioned, Pamela Jackson's father never gave up looking for the girls. He died in 2013, five days before the car was found. Stop. That's awful. In the obituary, it says that that is the one that is the thing that haunted him his whole life was never having an answer to what happened to his daughter and his daughter's friend. Five days after he died, they found the car after 43 years. That's terrible. I like to think that maybe he had something to do with them finding it after he passed. Like he had left a note or something that he had found it originally and didn't tell anyone. No. I don't understand. No, that from the beyond. Oh, he, oh, okay. He, he urged the fishermen to go to this particular mm-hmm. spot. He created a drought. Well, no, but but he took advantage of of the fact that, that oh, the okay. drought, and he said, "Hey, go fish there." Right. What, that's that's what I would like to think. Uh-huh. The girls' remains were both in the front seat, which it was a good sign, believe it or not, because if you think about it, they thought if they found them in the trunk or in the back seat, it might be an indication of foul play. Sure, of course. Their clothing was remarkably well preserved. The car was found in third gear. The keys were still in the ignition, and the ignition was in the on position. The light switch indicated that the lights had been on. One tire was badly damaged. Miller's purse was found inside the vehicle. In it, her license, some notes from classmates, and photographs. The Sioux City Journal reported, quote, The car did not contain any evidence, such as cans or bottles, that alcohol was involved. Based on witness accounts, the girls who had visited Miller's grandmother in Vermilion later met up with their friends and followed them, and they wouldn't have had time to stop along the way. The bridge was new, which might have confused the girls. One of the Studebaker's tires was damaged, but officials don't know if that happened before or after the crash. You said that the car was upside down, too, right? It was, yeah. It was upside down. 
According to an article in the BBC, medical experts said, quote, The forensic pathology and anthropology reports indicate that there was no type of injury that would be consistent with or caused by foul play or inappropriate conduct. Mm. All the evidence would appear to indicate this was just a tragic accident. DNA test results came back. It did confirm, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the remains submerged in that Studebaker for 43 years were those of Cheryl and Pamela. After testing was completed, uh, the remains of the two girls were returned to their families for a proper burial over four decades after they died. Oh. Soon after the confirmation of their identity, relatives of the girls read a statement at a news conference in Elk Point. Quote, our day has come through this journey for all answers pertaining to our beloved sister and her dear friend, Pam. We will now be able to finish this last chapter of this journey. I tried to find some kind of a happy ending for this. Yeah. That's the best I could do. They had some closure. 43 years. That's that's wild. 43 years not knowing. And then it's something as stupid as, oh, well, they might have driven off a bridge. Like... It's just so sad. It is. I mean, I'm glad that they weren't murdered. Yeah, yeah. And and that's one of the things that law enforcement said. In a way, it uh, it does bring some relief to the families beyond the fact that it's closure, knowing that that they didn't die at the hands of a murderer and that probably their death was relatively quick and painless. Ugh. My source material was NPR, depressingnews.com, BBC, The Guardian, and the Sioux City Journal. I just hope your story has some sort of a happy ending to it. Oh, no. Oh, no. I need a meat margarita. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores and bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. 
I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. And now, that thing in the middle. Every year, hundreds of people go missing in what's called Alaska's Bermuda Triangle. These people are never found, either dead or alive. They just seem to simply disappear forever. One theory is that inside this area is a portal that leads to a parallel universe. And this is but one of many portals that are located around the Earth. We got a load of mail from Maine, and um, I, I should say, we got a load of mail that had been sent to Maine, and then it, from Maine it was sent to us. Right. And so we're so delayed in getting all of our, our mail. Yeah, but it's made tax season very challenging. It for sure has. Mm. But we got this letter from Stacy in Wisconsin, along with some photos, and I'm just just about as thrilled as I can be. So Stacy said that they uh, wanted to write in and suggest that we talk about pigeons, but then I did the episode on Cherami. Yes. Um, so, th- okay. We thank you so much, by the way, for your wonderful letter, but mostly for these photos. So we got photos of their various pigeons, including this one, which I love because he's popping out and he's all like, Hey, Hello. what's up? What's you going got a on? peanut for me? Wow, so they breed pigeons. Yes. Oh, how cool. It's so cool. And they like win awards and stuff. Wow. And they were going to send us the little band that they put on the pigeon's mm-hmm. foot uh, that said 111 on it. But they had to actually put that on a bird. So uh, we got a different <laughs> one. But still, it's so cool. And I just love, please send me pictures of your animals. I'm never <laughs> going to be sad about it. Their pigeons race like 500 miles. It's it's mind blowing. Um, so even if you have like super lazy animals, I would like pictures <laughs> of your uh, yours as well. So thank you so much, and I, I'm just so happy. They also sent some feathers, and uh, Stacy, just so you know, I used those feathers during the saging ceremony while I was trying to exercise the demons from Cat's bedroom. Yeah. So thanks for that. Yeah. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. 
On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to the Box of... Oh, great. Guy dropped a cue card. Well, pick it up. Little higher, little left, little left there, 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 stop. This is the Box of Oddities. I had mentioned that I hoped your story was a little less tragic than mine. Mm. You didn't really offer me any hope there. (laughs) Well, today we're going to talk about decapitation. Oh, well, that certainly will have an uplifting effect, I'm sure. In 2009, there was a new railway bridge um, that was going to be bridging southern Sweden's Motala-Strom River. And it was uh, slated for construction. They started to work on it. And part of their plan was to just check out the area and make sure that there weren't any historical things Mm -hmm. that they were going to be ruining in the process. And they discovered there would have been, yes. They stumbled upon artifacts that were thousands of years old and the foundations of a very mysterious stone structure. So, of course, they had to kind of halt what they were working on, and they were like, all right, well, let's bring in some people who know what they're doing. I mean, not that the bridge people didn't know what they were doing. It's just a different kind of knowing. I'm not trying to insult bridge people. Oh, (laughs) shit, now I've pissed off bridge people. No, I'm just saying... Different skills, right? Different skills. Mm -hmm. So as well as turning up animal bones and tools made from antlers and uh, wooden stakes and stuff, they found some bits of human skulls. That's cool. I mean, as long as they're... People aren't using them anymore. Skulls are cool to find. So in 2011, Frederick Hallgren of the Cultural Heritage Foundation led an archaeological project at this excavation site. It's called the Canal Jordan Excavation Site. And they discovered that this structure was an ancient burial site. And it held most of 11 adults and nearly the entire skeleton of an infant. The remains belong to a Mesolithic hunter-gatherer group, a group that existed around 8,000 years ago between the New and Old Stone Ages. That was 4,000 years after Atlantis sunk. Oh, jeez. 
Two of the human skulls, one which was fully intact and the other which was broken in half, were pierced with wooden stakes that protruded at the base of the cranium, while several others also showed signs that they had been treated in a very similar manner. Almost all of the adult skulls were jawless. Hmm. So they discovered these stakes poking through the skulls and they they were really quite blown away because the discovery of human skulls mounted on stakes from this period in history was unprecedented. The earliest known example of mounting heads on stakes found in Europe, period. See, if you're like me, you thought mounting heads on stakes is timeless. No, <laughs> it's not. You had to start at some point. And apparently it was right around this time. 8,000 years ago. They were pioneering when it came to head mounting. Yeah. Frederick Hallgren uh, said, as far as we know, this discovery is unique in the world. Nothing has been found like this that is so old. So the burial structure that we talked about was underwater. So this was a dried up lake bed and well it wasn't dried up really it had been a lake and then it became a lake with a lot of vegetation in it and then it kind of became a forest and now it's like a soggy sog sog land swamp bogish yes a, a, a soggy sog land and this underwater burial structure would have been hidden from view during the stone age except for a few wooden stakes that would have poked up out of the water's edge So everything else is under the water, and these bodies are placed in the structure in the water. But the heads were poking up above the water? On, on stakes? Oh, no. that's They don't know whereabouts the head stakes okay. would have been positioned. But they were, but they were but this, like grave markers. Yes. The stakes would have been to signify where the corners of the structure were. Okay. So that you knew where to put the bodies. I see. I assume. Whoever made the grave began by tightly placing large stones and wooden stakes together at the lake's bottom, making the flat structure, which measured about 39 feet by 36 feet, or 12 by 14 meters. So this stone slab and then the stakes, that's where all the bodies went. And they constructed this underwater. underwater. Correct. Okay. Now, the structure itself is very confusing. But it does help answer some questions because the bottom of the lake was a very low oxygen environment, which means, of course, that there wasn't a lot of oxygen available for bone decaying microorganisms, and it preserved the remains. Like the bog people? No, not quite. So they didn't have like the hair and the the clothes and all that business. Um, But it's likely that they weren't wearing clothes when they were put in to this structure anyway. So I guess they wouldn't have found clothes. Kind of sort of like the bog people. Preserved, but not like that. It did make the excavation difficult, though, because the peat was still wet. And in some parts of the site, the team had to keep an electrical pump running all the time to pump out the water so that it wasn't continually filling in what they were digging out. But they discovered that two of the human skulls were female, four were male, and two belonged to people between the ages of 20 and 35. They also know that at least two of the people buried in this structure were related. But DNA tests are going on to to determine if if more are related. 
animal bones were also arranged around the skulls, um, which were sorted according to the type of creature that they belonged to. Hmm. Another interesting find was that a female skull was discovered with another woman's temporal bone stuffed inside of it. Okay, so this, to me, indicates that uh, they were hostile toward the people that were in the crypt. But if they were buried with animals and stuff, that would suggest that they were providing for them in their journey to the afterlife. So what is it? It's hard to say because we don't know that this behavior would have been considered hostile at the time. Okay. It's entirely possible that mounting someone's head on a stake at the time was considered a position of honor. Again, if they were done using it. If they were done using it, yes. It's thought that perhaps in the case of the one skull being stuffed inside the other skull, that maybe the two women were close relatives, like maybe mother and daughter. Hmm. But again, DNA is needed in order to determine if that's the case. The human remains show that there was blunt force trauma near the tops of the heads. And they also appear to have other injuries that show signs of healing. The female skulls have injuries on the back and right sides of the heads. And the male skulls each had a single blow to the top of their head and face. So ritualistic? Is very possible. Then hmm. since the male and female skulls show different sides of trauma, the violence could have been deliberately distributed based on their their parts. So now, the stakes. The spikes had been inserted through the large openings at the bottom of the skull, suggesting that they had been mounted prior to being deposited in the lake, which makes a lot of sense. And the pointed end of the stake was probably stuck into the ground. They also found that some of the skulls had slight traces of burning, so that there may have been uh, some sort of ritual where the remains were staked over a fire Mm. and then buried in this water chamber tomb. So... So either a, a strange primitive ritual or a uh, Neolithic barbecue. Well, I don't think there's any evidence to show that they had been nommed on, mm-hmm. um, just maybe ever so slightly singed. Sarah Gummerson of Stockholm University wrote an email to National Geographic when they asked her about her findings regarding this site. She said that other digs show Mesolithic hunter-gatherers often respected their dead, and it wasn't until later in history that groups were known to have begun decapitating their enemies. Mm. And so, again, it's unclear if this was an early sign of that, oh, shit, we got you kind of (laughs) behavior, or if it was so much earlier that it was a different attitude toward their remains. I see. And it's it's almost impossible to know because there's nothing to compare it to because it's so early. It seems like maybe these heads were deliberately put on display and that it's likely that they were buried in another place first. So that adds a whole nother layer. It, it appears as though they were dug up and then staked and then charbroiled and then put in this water burial tomb thing. It is so many layers of confusing. Again, because it can't be compared to other sites, it doesn't give you a lot of insight. With all the information that these multiple teams have gathered, the consensus is still like, uh. 
That's the academic term for. Yeah. 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 Well, again, that you can have all kinds of theories, Mm -hmm. but without knowing what the mindset was, you can't, you know, we can't place our uh, reactions to this behavior on it because they wouldn't have had the same, you know, thought process. Of course. Which makes things confusing because you want to go, well, you wouldn't have done that to someone you love, but maybe you would have. Who knows? (laughs) I'd like to keep your head around. Would you? But I don't know if I'd want to keep it on a stake. Well, I'm fine with that. If Mm -hmm. you can come up with some sort of a utilitarian use for it, like, I don't know, maybe hand out candy at Halloween. Mm -hmm. I could turn you into a nutcracker. I could be a nutcracker. I'm sure sure you could. But then you'd have to uh, put my head on a stake and you've said you don't want to do that. You could be a tabletop nutcracker skull. I'm not sure what the engineering process See, would that's be. why we've got to get these bridge people in here. Bridge people know what they're doing. They're very smart, and I would never say otherwise. Of course. I got my information from National Geographic, from Ancient Origins, the local, and live science. Just fascinating. And I love how there have been so many recent archaeological discoveries that keep pushing back the time frame of what we would consider civilization. It's really remarkable. It sure is. It's also remarkable that we are just weeks away from our next mini tour. Oh, I love that segue. (laughs) Really well done. (laughs) We are just weeks away. We're looking forward to it. It's a three-show tour, at least at this point. Nashville, Tennessee, Huntsville, Alabama, and Charlotte, North Carolina. You can get tickets right now by going to our website, theboxofoddities.com. I love that I'm already getting recommendations where we should be eating. (laughs) This, you people. You know us. people are the best. You have our hearts. (laughs) Just don't put them on a steak and stick them over a fire. I feel like that's a fair request. Yeah. Yeah. It's all I ask. That and come to our shows. And there are still some VIP tickets left, which means you get, uh, you know, right up front seating and we get to meet you after the show. And that's one of my favorite parts is getting to uh, say hello to everybody. And uh, one of my favorite parts is the shank. Excuse me. Oh, you mean after the show? No, no, no. I've been watching a lot of Chopped. Well, (laughs) we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful shank. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Stogie, thank you. A place where even squares. We don't, okay. Hi, I love you. You ready? Yep. love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring well look no further and join me katie charlwood your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as i delve into 
unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.